So welcome to this month's edition of Invasion of the Potty People, a dive into the world of horror. We've got all the news that's getting us excited about our beloved genre, a host of recommendations for you to enjoy, and a particularly groovy interview with the founder of Ghouls Magazine. So there's a lot going on this month. First up, let's introduce who you're going to hear today. So we've got the voices of... Hi, I'm James Rodriguez, and it's wonderful that you all came back. You must not have a lot of podcasts to listen to if you're doing that. And next to him, we've got... Hello, Vincent here. I'd like to share some wisdom I've come across that I found it's important to give yourself a little present every day, like a cup of strong black coffee or a piece of cherry pie. That's a little hint of things to come, but never forget to take notice of what's around you right now, Diane. And the chap, as always, wrangling us into giving good, solid recommendations and well-thought-out uh, views and opinions is me, Russell. Uh, as always, because it's it's now become customary because we're in a bit of a still in a bit of an odd time, things are slightly getting better, but we're still in a really weird world. I like to check in and see how we're all doing this week. Before we get into the horror, let's see how we're all doing. So I'll go first. I'm doing actually pretty good. I have a dog. Way. It's a pretty cute dog, even if it does like to bite my feet every now and then, which I think is either term of a term of endearment or a bit of a stress release i've been to the cinema a couple of times which is a gorgeous release and i watched godzilla versus kong first and that was the kind of dumb uh blockbuster fun that i wanted and the kong kong bit is is beautiful and uh, apart from that just working and watching a lot of tv i just finished the tv show invincible which while I, it took a while for me to warm to it, by the last episode, it's it's pretty impressive. And it has a mightily good voice cast. J.K. Simmons alone is worth your time. And he's one of many, many, many great voice actors in that film, in that show. So, uh, James, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you for asking. Um, I've been back to cinema recently as well. And my first film back was Mortal Kombat. And if you want, if you want violent action, bring on the nineties. And if you want violent action, this is a film for you. Even if the film doesn't hold up wholly, it's still fun to watch it on the big screen. Outside of that, I've been mixing up a bit in my home life. I've been going through the Hellraiser series, and I've reached the point where the films were apparently original scripts which were forcibly retooled to insert pinhead and the cenobites and boy does it show and outside of that i've also been watching eight hour ten cats does countdown which is a fun way to mix a pair of shows even if the sums infuriate me with how hard they can be but it's a fun mix and it's just been a wonderful time have you reached the Henry Carvel Hellraiser, which is Hellraiser versus Hackers, I believe? No, I'm a few off from that, but I am well aware of that one's existence. I believe Lance Henriksen is also in it. Now, you would think on paper that would be a good film, but the reputation of the Hellraiser series, I've only seen the first two, and I really actually like the first two. I Particularly the second, it's kind of really weird and has a nice vibe to it, but the reputation they have is not yeah not from what i've seen that <laughs> reputation is deserved so, I, mm, so i've heard i've only seen the first two 
um, Hellraisers fairly recently, actually. I really liked the second one, um, indeed. I uh, found it, uh, as I think you said, um, Russell, very weird, and weird in a good way. Um, years ago, I was at a an event where um, Doug Bradley, a.k.a. Pinhead, actually gave a talk, and he you know, talked about his history with the franchise. And uh, shockingly enough, for somebody who works in horror, absolutely <laughs> lovely guy, as they always are. Um, I, I have some morbid curiosity to see the rest of the franchise, but uh, there are other things I will probably want to see first. In terms of how I've been lately, um, let me ask you two gentlemen something. Are either of you familiar with digital asset management? Can't say I am. I've, I'm not aware, but aware of it as a term because I've worked in enough universities to know um, of it as a vague term that I don't mm. have to touch, thankfully. Yeah, in the past week, I have marked over 34,000 4,000 word essays discussing digital asset management. And if I never read another one, it'll be too soon. <laughs> it's not to say that they're, that they're bad, you know, and plenty, many of them are perfectly good essays, but I really got a bit fed up with here reading the same damn thing again. Yeah, see what I did there? Uh, on the uh, lighter side, I have been working my way through um, something I alluded to earlier and that I think we shall return to in a future episode. Um, I am working my way and nearly through Twin Peaks. So um, that has been something I have been very much enjoying. It is a surprisingly soothing show, I find, despite all the weird. It's one of those shows that one day I will come to, but I think I need to be able to give some time to it because it looks fascinating and... Uh, Lynch is a director that I uh, I loved Elephant Man and I thought Blue Velvet was good and everything else has all sort of kind of <laughs> boggled my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I saw The Elephant Man at school years and years and years ago. I was maybe 13 at the time and it bloody traumatised me. Um, it left me feeling actually quite sick, which I actually feel quite bad saying because like, oh, right, yeah, because I saw a deformed man and that made me feel ill. And I don't think it was quite that crude, but I've never gone back to it. And I probably should because I think I've seen now everything by uh, every feature film David Lynch has directed apart from the straight story. And in general, you know, I, I do like his stuff. So, yeah, we give I would the recommend it. The try. Elephant Man does feel like a good entry point for people to get into Lynch with a very good starting point for anyone who's not tried his stuff and is a bloody damn good film in its own regards. And I know exactly what you mean about Twin Peaks being soothing. Like when I was going through it um, last year, just going through the opening credits was like being back with an old friend. And I just didn't want to leave even with all the, Red Room and Owls and all this wacky stuff which was frying my mind. It was just a wonderful place that I wanted to stay in with damn good cherry pie. Well, as I say, I'm nearly at the end of it. And once I have reached it, I uh, will talk about it in more detail in a future episode. There's a, uh, there's a little tidbit for you. Yeah, coming soon for us. Um, yes, that's how we're all doing. So we all seem pretty good. We're all finding some nice uh, stuff to watch that's not just horror, but also, you know, other fun things. But let's talk about what's coming up, what's coming out in the world, what the news that's caught our attention and the latest developments in the world of cinema and horror that we feel you should know about. So 
Vincent, you're going to go first. What has caught your eye? Well, I'm a bit late to the party here, as much as I am with the Twin Peaks thing. I'm going to talk about something from a month ago, which was the Oscar results. I know it seems like another lifetime, but um, the Academy Awards, the 93rd Academy Awards, took place um, in late April. Um, I did as I tend to do. I stayed up till stupid o'clock watching the whole ceremony and tweeting along the way, generally tweeting about whether I was right or wrong. Um, I got about 60% of my calculations correct, although I will say on this occasion I had seen far fewer of the films um, that uh, were being shown. And of the results, by and large, um, of those I had seen, I kind of agreed with them. Um, I didn't necessarily agree with everything in terms of the ceremony. As many have said, it seemed a mistake ending the Oscar ceremony by presenting the award for Best Actor last, seemingly because the expectation was that Best Actor would be um, won by Chadwick Boseman and there could be a sort of fitting tribute to him. And then instead, the Oscar went to Anthony Hopkins, who wasn't even there. So, you know, um, swings and roundabouts. Um, I have not seen The Father, but I will uh, see it. I do look forward to that. Um, in terms of some of the other results, um, I was uh, personally very pleased with um, Nomadland winning. Um, I didn't actually see Nomadland until the week after, but it was one of those times when you wonder, is this going to actually stand up to the expectations? Is it been overhyped? And I can honestly say in the case of Nomadland, no, it hadn't. It, I thought it was every bit as uh, magnificent as it had been hyped. Um, and of course, it is an impressive, if problematic, historical event that we that as, for the second time a woman has won the Academy Award for directing, and indeed the first woman of Asian descent to win that Oscar. So all all uh, so so very well done to Chloe Zhao. I very much look forward to her next film, the trailer for which has just dropped this week, The Eternals. Um, from as I mentioned before in a previous episode, from Oscar success to the MCU. Um, I want to see more of that kind of thing. Um, so I was pleased with Nomadlands um, uh, being the biggest winner there. Um, and another victory I was very pleased with was a film we had mentioned previously, and we probably will again, um, Promising Young Woman picking up the Oscar as it did the BAFTA for original screenplay. Um, as I think, as we have pointed out before, Promising Young Woman is not only an impressive film, but an important one. And I was very pleased to see it pick up that award. And as for the Oscar ceremony as a whole, um, I did. I thought it did a really good job um, of balancing between different locations. And holding the main ceremony in a train station was a bizarre choice, but you know what? It worked. <laughs> so there's um, that's Oscars under social distancing, 2021. Um, all worked nicely. I hope next year everyone's back in the Kodak theater. <laughs> yeah, so I've now managed to catch all of the main Oscar uh, nominees and winners. So I, I caught Minari and Nomadland at the cinema uh, last week as a double bill. Strangely a fitting double bill because they're both kind of slice of life in America, struggling to survive in, in what is quite a cruel system. Yeah, Nomadland is a very worthy winner. I... I found it very beautiful and deeply sad and it kind of mildly blows my mind that we went from a ceremony where the two winners were uh, green book and bohemian rhapsody which are perhaps two of the worst oscar nominees in quite some time to firstly parasite winning best picture and then nomadland 
winning Best Picture, perhaps two of the most interesting films of the last two years uh, with so much to say. And The Father is a really interesting film. It's almost a horror. It almost plays out like a horror film because of its presentation of its subject matter. Um, yeah, like I think that the awards this year were an odd, odd one in general because there are some films that I hadn't seen, some films hadn't been released here. It didn't have that usual bonanza that I got in January where I would go to the cinema six or seven times and watch these incredible films that were being released. So I'd love that again next year because I did really miss that. But the winners that won were generally good choices. I, I The best actor thing is clearly a mistake. They were trying to capitalize on a moment that didn't happen and kind of ruined the party a bit. But yeah, having watched the main winners, I mostly think they got it right. Now, I still have not seen Nomadland or the Netflix nominees as of yet, and I'll get to them eventually. It's just when I can, really. But for what I saw, I don't have any major qualms with the um, with the winners and. I think Anthony Hopkins gave a very terrific performance in The Father. It, and it's just a shame that his win for such good performance was overshadowed by uh, what the what the people behind the Oscars did with moving it around. They could have had a lovely tribute for Chad, Chadwick Boseman. They could have kept it best picture at the end, but no, and it all got modeled up and that very much dominated talks. Well, that and Glenn Close doing a little boogie. (laughs) Yeah. That's (laughs) at least one good thing to come out of it, (laughs) but I have no qualms with the winners. It's great to see promising Young woman and sound of metal get and Minari get wins in where they could. And I haven't, I think they were very much worthy wins as as well. So hopefully it's all back to normal as of next year or as normal as normal can be, but we shall see. Yeah, let's let's see what happens touching wood. I'm on a wooden table so I'm touching my table right now. It will uh things will be back to some semblance of normality for the awards next year. Uh we should talk about one other thing with awards which is that in the time between our episodes, there have been a, a story broke in The Guardian um, about Noel Clark, and over 20 women have accused him of some quite terrible behaviour on and off set uh, that has certainly coloured his BAFTA wins. He was the BAFTA winner for, I don't remember which award it was, but it was sort of a career it was an BAFTA and- Outstanding contribution to British cinema. Um, yeah. I, I spoke about it that at the last um, in our last episode, and I was you know full of praise for um, Noel Clark. You know, saying that he's he's you know he's this amazing actor and writer and director, and you know just you know, and the fact that he's been um, that on one on one hand he had done so much important work and you know been a trailblazer for people of color in the film and TV industry, and then to learn what really him and it was on the one hand i actually feel slightly ashamed for having praised him but you know what did i know 
Um, but I guess that goes to show what do you know? Um, and I think it highlights, but I will say it is uh, perhaps somewhat, while it's obviously, you know, hugely just, um, you know, uh, distressing for all of the um, uh, alleged victims and, you know, absolutely, you know, stand with them. Um, perhaps there is something to be said, at least this has come out and um, this can be contested. This, well, sorry, not contested. This can be addressed. And, um, you know, Noel Clark, if he has actually committed you know, crimes, he, then he should be charged. If he has not technically committed crimes, then he appears to have at least done, you know, behaved inappropriately. And if that means that we don't see his, see, you know, if he doesn't uh, work again, then frankly, that seems fair. But I mean, at this time, it is still kind of up, uh, kind of open. We don't know what's going, it's going to work out. Um, and then there's the conduct of BAFTA themselves, which is somewhat dubious. But I think the one thing I would say is it is Im vitally important whenever these events occur, we need to have the conversations around it. It once again highlights the problems that still exist within the culture and within the industry that of film and TV. And it is it is sad that these accusations have come out, but I, be I believe the uh, women who have come forward, and it's sad because Noel Clark seemed like one of the good people because of all of his work with up-and-coming actors, writers, directors. He has uh, forged a career over the last decade or so that supports a lot in the British uh, film and TV industry. And for that to be alongside uh, some abhorrent behaviour is a reminder once again that uh, the film and TV industries need to dramatically change their behind the scenes. It's also worth pointing out that back in 2010, Adam Deacon was very vocal speaking out about this sort of thing and how Noel Clark essentially bullied him and essentially led, led him to have a breakdown. And people essentially dismissed it. Adam Deacon was a up and coming rising star and it essentially all went to pot. And Noel Clark was unscathed at the time. And now here we are and well, Adam Deacon's owned, owed one hell of an apology. And he's hoping he's all right in all this, knowing that what he was trying to bring, what he was trying to talk about well over a decade ago is finally out there. So, yeah, so we will see where the Noel Clark story takes us. Uh, it is certainly a difficult story, but a necessary one to be told frankly and and we'll get the guardian article put in the show notes um because as with everything like this uh, i am in i will always support the the person the the accuser when there's 26 i think now people accusing and it feels like a cultural thing well that that kind of is enough of a conclusive thing for me but we'll see what comes out um, on a on a different note, let's move on to something else. A pair of sequels. This is my news now. So a pair of sequels have made announcement about certain things. So I'm going to go through both of those. The first one is Knives Out Two. So this is Ryan Johnson's follow up to his quite wonderful Knives Out, which it, which was a lot of fun. 
and they've been drip feeding the casting for the sequel. There's going to be two sequels, I believe, and I think it cost four hundred million dollars for Netflix to secure them, which is a lot of money. <laughs> but we're going to get Daniel Craig back, which is great because his Benoit Blanc is is his most enjoyable performance he's ever given. And alongside that, we've got Dave Batista, Catherine Han, Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, Leslie Odom Jr., and Janelle Monet. And while that seems like a random bunch. I'm excited to watch all of them in this film because they're all great actors. They've all been in fantastic films. Whatever I thought of Army of the Dead, and it was a bit long. Dave Bautista's great in it. And so, yeah, it feels a bit like Ryan Johnson has got like a, like a bag filled of names that film Twitter likes, and he keeps pulling them out and casting them. And so it's quite a fun thing for him to do. Um, so I'm very excited for this film. You say that as kind of this random collection of actors, but then that's what the first Knives Out was like. It's also like Murder on the Orient Express and what we're also seeing cast, many other cast of um, Death on the Nile. This is how it works for whodunits, you know, get a whole bunch of you know, no, of, no, of known names and, let's, uh, and, and then throw them all together with a twisty plot and see what happens. So I agree, it's a wonderfully eclectic cast and um, putting into, into this uh, whodunit scenario um, is very exciting. I think with the casting of Kate Hudson and Leslie Odom Jr., it's almost like Ryan Johnson saw Sia's directorial debut music and thought, I need to save you two. <laughs> I haven't seen music. It, it looks <laughs> Don't. <awful>. Don't. <laughs> it's yeah. dreadful. You may have a point. You may have a point. Um, it's a little disappointing that so far Anna de Armas hasn't been noted as returning because um, she was awesome in the first Knives Out as well. But who knows? Maybe it could still happen. Yeah, let's see what happens. I think there's probably still a few more cast members to be announced. But so far, so good. So far, I'm very intrigued by this film. The other sequel I will briefly mention is um, Attack the Block. It's 10 this year. And so they've announced there's going to be a sequel finally, which Joe Cornish is coming back, as is John Boyega. And in between the film, uh, John Boyega has gone off and starred in one of the biggest franchises ever. And <laughs> Joe, <laughs> and he, I, I thought he was great in all three films, even if I really don't like Rise of the Skywalker. <laughs> Skywalker, I can't even remember the name. I'm trying to block it out of my head. <laughs> but yeah, so they're both coming back to be in this. Joe Cornish has worked on several different Hollywood films since. He made the quite great... Oh, what is it called? The Kid Who Would the, Be King. The Kid Who uh, Would Be King, which is a lot of fun. And I'm all for them coming back together to make another great uh, action comedy sci-fi about aliens coming down. And and yeah, the first one is terrific fun, really stylishly put together. And I'm very excited for Attack the Block 2. Mm. Maybe that'll be called Attack the Blocks. <laughs> Two attack, we should... to block. There's <laughs> <laughs> oh, always, always that choice. Oh, yeah, sure. Blood, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> let's not forget the first film also starred Jodie Whittaker. And now I wonder yeah. what happened to her. Mm. Oh, I don't know. Uh, last I heard, she was in um, some kind of um, box. Uh, James, what are your, what's got you excited this month? Well, I was quite interested to see a trailer had dropped for the new Purge film entitled The Forever Purge. 
Now, I've only seen the first three films in the Purge franchise, but... I think that's all so far, isn't it? <laughs> uh, no, there's a fourth one in a TV series, actually, which are supposed oh, to be yeah. rather good. And and I don't know why I haven't seen them, because what I've seen of the first three films, it seemed to be one of those series which actually improved with each instalment, which is always lovely when you get that. Now... This, the premise for this new film takes place after the annual purge has commenced, which is supposed to be a way to get all, everybody's anger out in one evening. So they're peaceful and tranquil all year round until the next murderathon arrived. And this film seems to be calling bullshit on that as a group decide, huh, that little klaxon's not going to stop me from killing. So they want to have the purge last forever. I wonder what they would call that. Now, it's interesting because the series seems to have been retooled to include political commentary. And I remember the fourth film, as marketing was coming out, it would have those infamous MAGA caps with Make America Purge Again on it. And this trailer for the new film seems to indicate we're going to be following two families who are trying to escape America and cross the border into Mexico for a better life which is very interesting, and I bet Mexico wouldn't lock the kids in cages. And I think it's quite an interesting-looking film, and it's got me in, excited to check out, to get all caught up on the franchise to reach the new one. I'm excited as well. I've only actually seen the original, The Purge, and I actually, I think that was you know, pretty political from the start. And I've heard that the political aspect gets more prominent over the course of the franchise. Based on your recommendation i think i want to check out the rest of the franchise and um yeah the 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 forever purge sounds pretty interesting i have definitely had fun with the purge films uh and they do have like probably the closest and most effective uh low level uh thing on the pulse of what is wrong with america right now so it's i'm interested to see what this is like are there any trailers have caught your eye vincent this month um, well, I mentioned the um, teaser for The Eternals, which just dropped this past week. Um, and I also, earlier today, actually, saw the trailer for The Tomorrow War, which um, is an interesting one. It appears to be um, that some soldiers from the future come to our present and say, hey, all soldiers, we need you to come to the future to fight a war, an alien invasion, because otherwise everyone's going to get wiped out. And it's an interesting premise. And it stars um, Chris Pratt, who... In real life, maybe something of a prat, but um, <laughs> it is, 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 I think, a solid, um, dependable screen presence. And the thing that really struck me about the trailer is the way that these um, uh, soldiers from the future come back in time to tell the largest number of people possible that to tell the world that they are needed for this for this tomorrow war is they make an appearance at the Super Bowl. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> that's kind of nice, you know. <laughs> that works. Um, rather than, I suppose the, the alternative would have been something like in Greenland, I guess suddenly everyone around the world is getting a tweet saying, there's a war in the future. <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was a trailer I saw, and I, uh, yeah, I like the look of that too. And hopefully some of these things at least will be in the cinema. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uh, the ones that have jumped out for me so there's been another Green Knight trailer and that still looks like a really cool epic film I'll say. swords and uh, myths and legends and everything wrapped into it looks visually stunning 
Uh, Gunpowder Milkshake had a trailer drop, and that looks like a lot of fun. It looks like a frenetic action-packed romp that I would thoroughly enjoy. And the one that's got me most excited, and it was one of my films that I was excited for coming out, was Last Night in Soho, which looks like a truly interesting turn for Edgar Wright. It is an unmovable fact that I killed Harlan. Yes, you did. Yes, he did. Yes, you are. But, but... I spoke in the car about the hole at the center of this donut. And what you and Harlan did that fateful night seems at first glance to fill that hole perfectly. A donut hole in a donut's hole. But we must look a little closer. And when we do, we see the donut hole has a hole in its center. It is not a donut hole, but a smaller donut with its own hole. And our donut it's not a hole at all. So, yes, yeah, so there's a lot of films there for you to get excited about. But mm. if you want something for now, well, let's give you our recommendations. So we've got something old, something new, and something not a movie, although my one of that is is a bit of a cheat. Um, I'll go first. So there's something old. Uh, so I watched for the first time ever Highlander, which is now on Netflix. And Highlander is <laughs> is perhaps the most 80s films film I've ever seen. So it begins with a Sean Connery voiceover that surges into an original Queen song for the film. It's about an immortal Scottish swordsman played by a Frenchman who is uh, battling out to battle an opponent played by Clancy Brown, who is really darn goodness. I didn't know that Clancy Brown was in this. So I had a lot of fun when he turned up and was just the most enjoyable villain. And obviously Sean Connery's in the mix and it's 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 wonderful but i just want to read some reviews so i i looked up how this was reviewed and critics hated it <laughs> i find it really interesting and i just want to read what the washington post said which is that the camera style is grotesquely overwrought a relentless exercise in technique for technique's sake it's all here folks fancy wipes expressionist expressionistic angles quick cut close-ups stylized backlighting camera moving in endless illogic it's as if a 15-minute history of film technique had been compiled by a psychotic. And if that doesn't make <laughs> you want to watch this film, nothing else will. Because this film is gloriously 80s. The technique, the filming technique is wonderful. It doesn't make a great deal of sense. But my God, I had fun with Highlander. I had so much fun with this film that it has to be my recommendation for you. You have to go off and watch Highlander. And it's also getting... Um, a remake with the uh, already mentioned Henry Carvel in the lead part. And I doubt that'll be as fun, but I, I will definitely check it out because <laughs> what are they going to do with Highlander that can match the original? Uh, my something new. So my something new is a film called Sater. And before I get into the film, I just have to say how this film began for me. So I have a one and a half year old. So we need a baby monitor the baby monitor has started picking up and I'll call it frequency, but the frequency sounds like a sharp woman's scream out of something out of a horror film. And it's utterly terrifying. So I pressed play on Sata because I was alone in my house. My wife had gone out to play netball and I got two very loud, sharp screams out of his monitor. So it was terrifying. The film itself, pretty darn creepy. I creeped out by Sata. It's this, um, story of this uh, man who is alone in the forest and there's 
a supernatural entity out there, maybe, that has kind of corrupted and destroyed his family. And it's all this complicated stuff is in there. It's it's a bit too much of a mood piece. So people might find it frustrating because there's not a great deal of action here, but it does have this palpable sense of dread that just creeps me out. And it's from writer-director Jordan Graham, who spent years on this, and there's stuff from his own grandmother is 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 in this film's DNA, and it's just a very odd film. But don't trust the straight-to-DVD cover of it, because it makes it look like it's about a Bigfoot-style monster killing a group of teens, and it's not that kind of film. And I almost put, instead of this, uh, Benny Loves You, which we've already talked about, uh, maybe not on this, but we definitely mentioned it during our Fright Fest uh, chat. And Benny Loves You is is adorable and violent and great fun. And it's on now, right now. Benny and... Loves You. <laughs> exactly. And it's just very cute and also very violent and very British. So, yeah. My final pick, which is something not a movie, is in fact two movies. But each movie is four and a half hours long. And it's the documentary pair In Search of Darkness, which you can find on Shudder. And this, both of these explore 80s horror movies. And they go through each year and they give you, rec- they focus on different films of each year. And in between is segments on specific topics. And it gets actors, directors, producers, special effects people everyone really from the era plus some fans all come in and talk about their films. And uh, it, it is just the best way to find out what you should be watching in the eighties. So yeah, go off and watch in search of darkness. And I'm, I'm putting it as something, not a movie because I watched those two in about six or seven chunks each. I would watch half an hour, 20 minutes here and there, and you can do it because it's all very bite-sized chunks each, each, is separated into years and the years are separated into film. So you can pick it up and watch it as you go. So yeah, that's my something, not a movie while it is a movie. I still really enjoyed it. Must say, um, Russ, uh, having heard your uh, recommendation, particularly the um, Highlander, I remember watching Highlander many years ago and when I was a teenager and thinking it was quite fun and then tried watching it when I was, in my 20s and thought, oh, dear God, this is painful. Quickly, <laughs> I suspect now I'm older again, I could uh, probably find more to enjoy in it. Um, and, yeah, I'd heard Sator discussed before, and um, it certainly sounds very intriguing. In terms of Highlander, you had me at French Scotsman played by a Frenchman. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's just utterly bizarre casting because Sean Connery is right there. And I believe he's a Spaniard. I can't really remember, but <laughs> I recall, yeah, it's just he says at one point um, his name, his character's called Ramirez, and Christopher Lambert says to him at one point, "Why am I listening to you, you Spaniard?" And Connor replies, "I'm Egyptian." What? And it's <laughs> but again, Highlander is the most '80s film you can find. Queen does the soundtrack. The way it is shot is like a music video, and. I just have a couple of beers and it'll just be one of the most endearing watches you'll have this year. Even if I'm not sure it's a great film, I just had all the fun with it. (laughs) James, what are you you recommending this month? (laughs) Well, for my something old, I'm going back to long distant year 
of 2013. And I am going to recommend a little film I watched on a horror channel recently, Odd Thomas. Now, this stars the sadly departed Anton Yelchin as the titular character Odd Thomas. Yes, that is his actual name. Now, Odd is a restaurant cook in a small town, but he also sees dead people. And he uses his, uh, his ability to help solve murders and to prevent catastrophes from occurring. And what we have is this fantastic piece of supernatural noir as the titular character tries to prevent the, this oncoming threat of murderous forces. Now, the effects work is rather dodgy, but this doesn't detract from what an engaging mystery this is, anchored by a terrific pairing brought alive by Yelchin and his co-star Addison Timlin as they make this wonderful central couple who lift each other up and are wonderfully weird with each other and are just utterly wonderful. And I could have just watched an entire series of them two just going around solving mysteries and just being a lovely couple. Now, this is directed by Stephen Summers, the man who directed the internet's favourite film for Bisexual Awakening, 1999's The Mummy. And I would say, if you love that, check this out, because this is an utter gem, and I think it deserves absolutely more love than it got at the time. My something not film, I'm going to go for an anime series entitled Demon Slayer. Based on a manga series which begun in 2016... This is a story which takes place in Taisho-era Japan, following this boy named Tan Tanjiro, li who lives in with his family in the mountains. Now, he's the family's only source of income after his father has passed away. So, he so one day he makes a trip to the nearby village in order to sell charcoal. And when he returns, he sadly finds his family has been brutally slaughtered by a demon. The only survivor of that awful attack is his sister, Nezuko, but the incident has left, her, has left her really transformed because she's now a demon as well. But the thing is, Nezuko is an anomaly. She's a demon who's still capable of human emotion and thought. And so Tanjiro begins this quest to find a way to turn his sister back into a human and avenge the deaths of his family. And to start that, he's he endeavours to join the Demon Slayer Corps, which are... You've guessed it, Demon Slayers. Now, this is a story which mi mixes horrific elements with such wonderful character development and excellent humour as the store as the characters are padded out with supporting characters. It's you get more and more of this and it just becomes utterly wonderful. And every obstacle these characters overcome, each bit of progress they make, it's wonderfully felt because you're swept along for this journey. And my favourite element has to be how the demons are handled, because you see them as they are now. They're bloodthirsty creatures who just want to sow destruction and cause bloodshed. But it also has great empathy for them, because you see how they're also a victim of circumstance, how they didn't really want to become demons. They were forcibly transformed that way. And they've been manipulated with to enact these horrible actions for at the whim of this one maniacal dickhead. And this is one of my favourite anime series I've seen in a while. 
it's available on Netflix UK at the moment and for free with advertisements on Crunchyroll. It's only 26 episodes long. I'd really recommend it. And it leads perfectly into my something new, which is um, a film I saw in the cinema last night. It's Demon Slayer, the movie, colon, Mugen Train. Now, it follows immediately after the first series finale as the returning characters board the Mugen Train to investigate the disappearance of many people on board. What's it caused by? You guessed it. It's a demon. Now, I love anime, but their film spin-offs can feel rather limiting because they take the standalone route and it feels like little actually matters because whatever whatever events you watch they're going to be confined to the film they won't hold any long-term effects because well they can't really affect a tv series that's not how it's supposed to work but the opposite is true here what happens in this film has real weight and consequences and it's all delivered in such excellent animation and it's got a stunning amount of character development massive amounts of heart and wonderful humor all in a near two-hour package now i've seen the show so i could follow it very well i can't speak for how anybody who hasn't seen the the show would fare i would say if you're a fan of the show you'll love it if you want i'd really recommend the series and end the film because if you're going to go back to the cinema you might as well see what's now the highest grossing film in japan toppling spirited away and titanic and very well deserved in my opinion i thought it was very excellent and those are my recommendations all very strong i must say yeah um i know that uh the film you mentioned uh hayao miyazaki doesn't like it because it's beaten <laughs> spirited away so i'm have to watch the film that he doesn't like because it's <laughs> taken his crown <laughs> hmm. i just um what you said about odd thomas i've looked that up and i can see that it is um available for streaming so i am going to check that out because it sounds right up my alley oh i hope you enjoy it (laughs) vincent what are your picks for this month well my picks are for my something old much like james i am also going back to that oh so distant year of 2013 um and bringing our attention to the conjuring now I mentioned this in relation to a few other things earlier, and yet again, I'm late to the party because I'd never seen The Conjuring previously. Um, so, uh, But finally, I checked out this 2013 success story. Um, now, um, listeners may be aware, and if you're not, I'm about to tell you, um, that The Conjuring is the highest grossing horror franchise ever, um, currently having grossed $1.9 billion dollars um, eight films so far, um, kind of making it the uh, the MCU of the horror genre. There have been three Conjuring films. Well, there have been two. The third one is out now. Um, maybe we'll discuss it in a future episode. Three Annabelle films, also The Nun and The Curse of La Llorona. Or should there be The Curse of La Llorona? <laughs> be done. Well, this was my first foray into the Conjuring universe, watching the 2013 original, um, written and directed by James Wan, starring um, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. Um, I liked it. Um, I thought it was, you know, effective. It was straightforward. Um, it was you know, kind of a likable, it was a likable cast. Um, oddly, at times, I found it was kind of garish and somewhat clumsily obvious. And yet, despite that, it was also atmospheric and startling. 
Now, it's an occult tale and it involves haunting and family and dark legacies. What's interesting is it felt like a horror film that was not really made for horror fans. It was made for more of a mass audience. Um, so it's kind of haunting by the numbers. And I wonder if that's why the franchise has become so popular. It offers scares, but they're pretty straightforward ones. I think that um, you know, three hardened horror fans like us, it probably takes a lot to... We may enjoy you know, a good jump and so on, um, sort of quiet, 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 bang, um, strategy of horror cinema. But I suspect it takes a lot more to kind of disturb um, a, a seasoned horror fan. Now, I don't think The Conjuring is necessarily going to disturb anyone, anyone, regardless of their um, familiarity with the genre. But I do think it's good fun. I don't know if you two are familiar with uh, fans of The Conjuring universe or of this or of that or the original. I have seen each instalment, and as far as the core Conjuring series goes, I'm just the Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga-led films. I rather enjoy them. Yes, they're not the most sophisticated horror f films, but I have a rollicking fun time with each of them. And I have a fond memory of seeing the first one in cinema, and there's a point where you notice there's a spirit crouched on top of a, I believe it's a wardrobe. And yeah. I remember someone behind me just at that point going, Oh my God! <laughs> Wait, that stayed with me. Yeah, when I, I mean, when I watched it on um, Netflix just recently, um, that was, I think, the biggest um, jump scare for me. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "What about you, Ross?" Yeah, I, I, so I've seen only The Conjuring, and I would like to watch The Conjuring two at some point. Um, I think there should always be these kind of horror films that are essentially roller coaster rides, where it, it's safe scares for people who don't really do some of the stranger aspects of the genre. What I will note is I find it impressive that James Wan is his two series, the two series he started. So saw and the conjuring are both the two horror choices right now in cinemas. And that's impressive. And, and James Wan's legacy in horror, and he has, he's still directing. So it's, it's a legacy that keeps building, but what he has created has impressive durability. And so, uh, yeah, I think the first Conjuring is a lot of fun. I remember the the bit with the clapping being quite tense, and yeah, it, I, I, my only issue with the Conjuring films they film is that it seemed to throw everything in, and so, but I, I should probably rewatch it. And and I hear the third one's pretty decent. Um, yeah, and interesting what you say about uh, James Wan there, um, who more recently, of course, directed Aquaman, which I guess is a bit of a shift. <laughs> Um, my Something New is not dissimilar. Um, it is um, a new Netflix release this year, Things Heard and Seen, which is a title I always have to remind myself it's that way around because we would normally say Things Seen and Heard, I think. Um, but no, no, this is Things Heard and Seen. So I suppose that's telling you from the, from the get-go, things are a little off here. Um, this is one that uh, Netflix actually suggested to me because um, it has a new function now. Um, watch something, you press, you click on it, and it'll bring up whatever. Um, Things Heard and Seen is a nicely played and effectively creepy film. It stars Amanda Seyfried and James Norton. 
Um, they are a young couple who uh, move um, to upstate New York into a house, well, a house that is new to them, but is not new um, overall and certainly has some memories. Um, they move because um, Norton's character gets a new job. Um, actually, it was in, kind of interesting in its um, presentation of um, higher education. I'm speaking as a lecturer myself. I sometimes can look at um, movie universities and go, yeah, that wouldn't happen. But, you know, why should it? It's a movie. It's uh, it's not meant to be real. Um, so anyway, they moved to this um, new house in upstate New York, which um, wouldn't you know it um, is haunting and probably and almost certainly haunted. Um, the directors, Shari Springer Berman and Robert Pulcini, they do deliver an effective and emotional chiller. Um, Norton's character is a, um, <clears throat> a professor of art and of um, uh, of, um, of art of, of painting, and some of the visuals in the film are very painterly. Um, now, on the one part, this may seem a bit on the nose. It's like, okay, so we've got a painting um, professor, and then it looks a bit painterly at times. But despite that, you know, it does allow for some arresting visuals. Um, what I think was particularly interesting here is, and it makes a nice comparison, I think, with The Conjuring. The Conjuring, as I said, does um, haunting by the numbers, but things heard and seen leans more into the genre. I think it's not so much um, saying, yes, here's all this horror stuff. It's saying, yes, here's the horror stuff. Let's have a closer look. Um, so it's a similarly, you know, uh, a cult tale, there's haunting, there's family, and there's dark legacies, again. Um, and what's interesting is the haunting becomes evident pretty quickly. It's not subtle about, hey, look, there's something supernatural. This isn't a spoiler. Um, it's, it's indicated pretty early on. So there's less, I think, a sense of mystery over what's actually happening here. Um, what happens, though, the haunting becomes evident pretty quickly, but the horror emerges more slowly. And I think that's the smartest thing about the film. This is a film that it knows the genre and it knows where the genre comes from. And it knows the source of true horror. Um, and I think this is a topic that comes up again and again. And um, we, I think we, it's something we could discuss in more detail in the future. But for now, not wanting to give away too much, um, Things Heard and Seen is a film that's going to have you saying, okay, well, that's clearly a ghost. But then shortly after you'll go, oh, God, that's horrible. And what you're saying is horrible may be a little different. So that's my something new, Things Heard and Seen. Either of you seen it? No, but you, you make it sound um, really interesting. I might have to seek that out. No, I haven't seen it either, but that sounds like a great recommendation. Yeah, Netflix, I'll expect to check. <laughs> or you know direct transfer my something horror but not a film um is promising young podcast now as was we mentioned promising young woman earlier um in our discussion of the awards and it was and i, th I think it was uh, james recommended it in our previous episode um as something new well promising young podcast is a podcast funnily enough about promising young woman it's um, kind of a mini-series from the Final Girls podcast, which um, uh, I think we brought up previously. Um, Final Girls is a podcast series run by Anna Bogutskaya, um, and Promising Young podcast is a mini-series on there, four episodes, um, all devoted to talking about Promising Young Woman. Now, for 
episodes discussing one film might seem like a lot, but it's the kind of film that really lends itself to a lot of discussion. Um, the, each episode features some brilliant analysis and discussions dealing with a specific topic. Um, the first one talks about the film as a whole. The second one engages, uh, discusses in depth the film's idea of the what it means to, quote, be a nice guy, end quote. <laughs> um, third one discusses the critical reception to the film. And the fourth one talks about the film's um, kind of the, the uh, discussion divisions that the film has caused and how it kind of incorporates, the way it represents the incorporation of rape culture. Um, all of which is to say that this is these are some really important discussions about um, significant important issues and that are encapsulated in this, I think, really important film. But just to clarify, if I'm making this sound in any way, you know, heavy or grim, it's not because Anna Bogutskaya and her guests, they are really lively, they're really engaged, they're really fun. Um, so if you want to, if you like hearing people talking passionately about film, and if you don't, why are you listening to this podcast? Um, I would recommend a similar podcast, as I often do. I recommend the competition, Promising Young Podcast, and indeed the whole of The Final Girls um, is well, well worth a listen. And, you know, if you don't want to listen to that because you didn't like Promising Young Woman, well, the fuck's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll add, I need to add that into my um, podcast queue. Go on. Sounds great. Do you find that your podcast queue is like your your um, film and TV show? <laughs> it just keeps getting longer. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I managed to keep maybe two or three podcasts that I will always listen to, but the rest are all very, I'll listen for a bit and drop and then maybe pick up down the line and we'll get to know each other again at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so those are our um, recommendations. We've got a podcast, a TV series, and a heck of a lot of films for you to watch. And we also have something else that's something, not a movie, that we're going to cover next. So the final thing for this month is we have an interview, which I'm always excited when we have an interview because there are great people out there in horror and we love chatting to them. And this month, James has sat down with Zobo with a shotgun, who you might be aware of. And if you are, you'll know she's the kind of is is a massive expert in extreme horror she, she knows so much about extreme horror she's been coming it for a while and she has a new project that she set up and they uh, it's called ghouls magazine and so here's james chatting to zobo about that i'm delighted to introduce to the podcast the editor-in-chief of ghouls magazine it's miss zobo with a shotgun how are you doing today i am very good thank you thank you so much for inviting me on i'm very excited uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. And um, Can you start by telling us what is Ghouls Magazine and what inspired you to make it? That is a very good question. Um, so Ghouls Magazine is a 
website, an online magazine, uh, all about horror. We cover reviews, editorials, videos, you name it. We've pretty much got it on there. It's all written from the female perspective. So we have a lot of women writers and also a lot of non-binary writers as well. Uh, we felt like there was a real opportunity within the horror community to really showcase what we believe are marginalised voices. Obviously, there's, there's far more uh, than just the voice is on our website but we feel like we've got quite a quite a strong opportunity with a lot of uh, great writers on there um, and I guess the reason for setting up Girls Magazine was I mean I've been working in the horror industry far too long too long to admit um, and it literally just came through passion and writing and connecting with people and just use, like tweeting so much all the time and I think one of the biggest things I noticed was a lot of the voices out there were not female. Uh, and, you know, as a woman myself, I was really keen to hear other women's takes on particular horror films. Um, and the particular one that kind of sprung to mind for me was I Spit on Your Grave. I'd seen so many middle-aged men talking about it saying women will hate this is it's demeaning it's demoralizing and I watched it and I was like holy shit this is so empowering uh and then I started to explore connect with other other women in the industry and actually I began to notice like for instance you know the rape revenge is a subgenre for women could be quite a, an empowering subgenre which I guess you know seems a little bit strange but I think once you delve into it there's so many reasons behind it and yeah, just got to a point where I was like, you know, Zobu with the shotguns ticking along, but as you know, it's it's quite focused on uh, extreme, but we do cover other things. And I just kind of went, you know what? I just want to bring together some of the awesome women I know uh, through the community and get us to create a little bubble. And uh, yeah, Ghouls Magazine was born. It's pretty awesome that you've managed to take your passion and use it for a force of good to give voice to people in a world. Like, let's face it, there's too many men making their voices heard and drowning out the people who aren't men. And sorry for that. <laughs> You're excused. <laughs> Thank you. Now, I noticed your site is has a contact us feature. So if anybody interested for writing the magazine, how would they go about it if they wanted to contribute? And would you have any tips for anybody who wanted to add their voices to the mix? Yeah, so I mean, anyone that wants to contribute, they can either fill in the super boring and formal form on the website um, or drop myself or our incredible, very, very incredible uh, assistant editor, Rebecca, message on social media or um, can just get in contact, editor at ghoulsmagazine.com. I guess in terms of advice, I mean, I am still navigating my own journey into the pitching process. I get very nervous about pitching. I think it's often quite difficult to, to have an idea and kind of throw it out into the world because often, you know, you could get criticised, but mm. we're 
we're quite open at Ghouls Magazine. You know, we we love to hear other people's voices. Um, so, you know, we don't typically kind of turn pitches down. We might support in terms of uh, ideas and maybe, you know, improving and, and kind of making it a little bit better or a little bit more in depth. But I guess my kind of advice would be, you know, if, if you strongly believe in a pitch or an idea that you think is really good, just go for it. Because more times than not, like everyone else has not thought of that. You have your own unique perspective in the fact that it's coming from you and it's not anyone else. And I think that, you know, is so great about the horror world is that we've all got like varying opinions on varying films and that's so exciting. Um, but, you know, on, on the flip side as well, you might get turned down at places. I'm not saying Ghouls Magazine, but, you know, certain places, bigger places, they can be tough to pitch to. Um, I've been turned down numerous times, but that that doesn't mean that it's a, it's a bad pitch at all. It just means, you know, that maybe it's not quite right for that site. So I, you know, I believe in just keep going with it. And eventually, you know, somewhere will go, that resonates with us. We love it. And we're going to take it. Now, your magazine is all about amplifying female and non-binary voices. What are some of your favourite horror films which were directed by anyone who wasn't a white man? Or let's just say Ooh. men. <laughs> Anything that was... A, I mean, one of my recent favourite films that I absolutely love um, was Promising Young Woman uh, by Emerald Fennell. Not so much a horror, uh, but I think it definitely dives into the horror uh, genre a little bit and I think you know it's within Rape Revenge which is absolutely one of my favourite kind of subgenres. I also love Revenge by Coralie Fargi that's another I at the moment I'm on kind of like a Rape Revenge vibe so we're kind of running with that. Uh, I love yeah. Raw by Julia Durkinow I think that's a really really powerful film and then one that's slightly older which I think uh, a lot of people love but I think it often gets overlooked and forgotten that it's actually directed by a female is Mary Hannon's American Psycho I'm a big fan of the book I love Brett Easton Ellis's work um, I think the book is spot on but I love her adaptation which perhaps takes out a few of those extreme elements that I love so much mm -hmm. um but it's a powerful film and I just love that she went I'm going to adapt you know a misogynistic dickhead and put that on the screen screen and it's and it's from a woman <laughs> and the irony of people on Twitter saying how oh, this is a man's film and not <laughs> fully unaware that is actually brought to screen by women is delicious <laughs> <laughs> it's funny very funny now you've hosted a number of panel discussions which are available to, available to watch on the ghouls youtube channel now they're great i especially found the safety in cinema discussion to be rather informative and thoughtful and i was wondering do you do you come up with these panel discussions on a idea by idea basis or do you have some like stored away to do in the future and what's your process with that some of it is idea by idea. Some of it is also stored. Um, I am a bit of a spreadsheet freak, <laughs> which uh, never thought I would say, but I am. So uh, 
I often tried to tie them into kind of like calendar day. So, you know, like possession, um, it was the 40 year anniversary of that film. So I was like, what an amazing film to speak about around its anniversary. Um, but we do also have a huge backlog of ideas for panel discussions, ones um, about rape revenge, extreme cinema, trans representation, uh, queer cinema. We've got so many, I guess it's just, planning them and getting them out on paper but then you know for instance the one we have coming up this Thursday is on mental health and that was just I completely did not realize it was mental health awareness week until a couple of weeks ago um through work and I was like wouldn't it just be nice to kind of get a few people together and talk about like what I think is one of the most important topics to speak about so we do a bit of both. I try to plan as far as ahead and then I get an idea and I'm like, we probably need to do that next week. So let's make that happen. <laughs> and that lined up quite well. <laughs> um, it did. <laughs> <laughs> you also run the Zobo with a Shotgun podcast, which offers excellent insight into extreme cinema. And it's especially helpful for people who don't really want to watch those films for themselves. Is there a discussion, released or upcoming, which was one of your favourites to do, which you'd especially recommend? I mean, I have, I've loved all of the discussions I've done on extreme cinema. Um, of course. Exactly. I mean, I've <laughs> really, really enjoyed talking to to everyone. Um, I think on on season three, the latest season, which I'm a little bit behind on because of my studio being in disrepair right now, uh, but I love speaking to uh, Alex, Alex West, who wrote the book on uh, New French Extremity. I think for me, speaking to authors is really, really exciting because they provide a slightly different take on things. I mean, Alex is also fantastic in a sense that she also runs the Faculty of Horror podcast um, alongside Andrea Subasati. Uh, she does so much in the horror world, but I think just hearing her take on a genre that she know she knew in such an in-depth way you know for me that's kind of as a film fan so exciting because I was like oh wow like there was stuff in there that I had no idea about and I got to learn and listen to and that was super exciting um and I guess to give a, a little bit of a shout out to uh, an extreme discussion I had that was not um, on my podcast was uh, Mike Munster's Evolution of Horror podcast. They did a he did a little mini extreme series with myself and Brad Hansen, and I've never laughed so much about things that are highly inappropriate to laugh about. And I think you know, actually, there's a lot of fun to be had talking about extreme films with perhaps someone like Mike who does who doesn't really like them, and like you said, you know, didn't probably didn't want to watch them but watch them and I think it's uh yeah it's a lot it's a lot of fun doing something like that it's always especially fun when you get somebody who's let's say not that into the more hardcore stuff to sit down and experience it and they could like it you never know <laughs> now if somebody wanted to get into extreme cinema is there a good starting point which you could recommend from so I feel like the problem with extreme is there isn't really like a, a soft kind of starting point. Um, 
I guess if I were to, you know, kind of give a recommendation, I'd maybe start with, um, and it it doesn't come across softly at all, but uh, maybe torture porn, um, something Mm -hmm. like Hostel. Hostel is, it touches on the extreme, but it's also quite fun as a film to watch, which I think the more you watch extreme, a lot of them are, there's nothing fun about them. They are, you know, you are sat there and it is a grueling experience. And I've seen stuff and I've gone, oh God, like, should I turn it off or should I keep going? Am I all right? Am I going to have a bad day? Whereas I think Hostel is, okay, I know a lot of people say it's a shit film and to an extent it is, but it's fun and it kind of starts to bring in that element of you're going to see people tortured, they're going to go a lot through a lot of horrible stuff and it's not really going to end there. Um, I mean, me personally, the first extreme film I watched was Cannibal Holocaust, which I don't think I would recommend as a starting point because <laughs> it's quite... Is quite hardcore to say the least. That's fair enough. You don't always want to start with animal murder, I suppose. No, it can be a bit off putting. <laughs> Just a bit. Who would have thought? Uh, every horror fan seems to have an origin for their love. Mine was watching A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 on Channel 5 when I was seven years old. Go figure. What was your starting point for horror? Um, I was, I was quite a bit older, uh, actually, I, you know, quite a lot of people got into it, you know, probably the same age as you, like seven, some people even, someone once told me they watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre at three, which I'm Jesus. still a bit, yeah, I was like, either your parents are really bad or you're lying. And I hope you're lying for many reasons. Um, for me, the, I used to watch like the X-Files with my dad when I was young, cause I loved aliens, but is not like super horror. The first kind of horror film that I actually watched and digested as a horror film was The Evil Dead. Uh, I'd been begging my dad to let me watch it for years and he'd said, no, 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 no. And then finally on Halloween, he was like, okay, you can watch it. And I put it on and I was terrified. I was like, I'm never going in the woods. I'm never going to a cabin. I hate everything. But it sparked something. I was like, this emotion of fear is amazing. Like, yeah. And for me now, it's still one of my favourite horror films ever. It's an excellent film. And it's always that little rush your first film gives. It's Mm. like you need your next hit, even if it's not, even if it's a bit tame or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. As always on this podcast, we have a segment where we make free horror recommendations. One one film that's been out for a bit, one that's recent and something which isn't a film. So what is your something old, something new and something which is not a film? Okay, so I was thinking about this and I decided to go a little bit left field um, and I haven't gone extreme um, for the first time. So I've just gone for some films that lately were on my mind and I was like, so my something old is going to be Alice Sweet Alice. I'm not a fan of slasher films at Mm. all. Like I quite detest them um and I watched Alice Sweet Alice on a bit of a bit of a whim actually 
And it's classified as a slasher film, but I think it goes a lot deeper than that. And it's actually quite uh, it's quite disturbing um, in some of the things that it portrays. And I don't know what it was about it. I just really loved the vibe of that movie. I think it was quite... I don't know, it's a very weird movie and I think it gets under your skin and, you know, the the mask that's mm. featured in there as well is absolutely terrifying. And then, so then my something new, so again, not an extreme film, trying to, trying to broaden my horizons, um, is actually a bit of a kind of like indie horror film and is called Sator. So I saw this a couple of months ago um, and I got to speak to the director about it and I can hands down say it's one of the most terrifying films I've seen in a very, very, very long time. I had chills for days and I kept opening my living room door very early in the morning and just, uh, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but the main kind of thing that you see in the movie I was convinced that every time I opened the living room door it was just sat at the desk it really looked like it and the fantastic thing about this film is it took uh Jordan Graham who's the director he made the whole thing by himself over the course of seven years directed it edited it made the music built the hut that they film it in just, I mean, phenomenal work that he did on that. And uh, yeah, and most of it's also a true story with his real grandma. So if you want to have nightmares like forever, then that is the film to watch. And then the final one that you wanted was horror, but not a film. So I've mm -hmm. gone for a book because uh, I'm a huge, huge horror book fan. Uh, that's kind of a lot of what I talk about um, on YouTube is just horror books. Um, and one that I read recently, which was actually a suggestion from Sam Ashurst, who is a co-host on the Arrow Video podcast uh, and also the director of A Little More Flesh and A Little More Flesh 2 both which highly recommend as films to check out above anything else. Um, it's a book called Boy Parts by, I think it's, I think she's called Eliza Clark. Uh, and it's kind of like American Psycho, but female American Psycho that lives in the UK and is often found in Tesco's. Um, and I just like, I've never felt so connected to a book before. It might be the fact that she's a bit, she's a bit of a shitty person and she also lives on like tuna salads. And I was like, that's pretty much me. So I could, you know, I could kind of get on board with that. But uh, yeah, if you're looking for kind of like American Psycho, but from a, a young woman who is a bit lost in the world and you know if you're from the UK as well there's a lot of very funny kind of UK only anecdotes but yeah it's an amazing book like I think I've never read a book so quick. American Psycho and Tesco's I never thought I'd hear a sentence <laughs> with them two together but those sound absolutely excellent. Uh, Zobo this has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for your time.
Thanks for having me. So yes, yeah, so that sounds great. And do go off and follow Ghouls Magazine and check out all their stuff and and everything they're currently up to because they have so many exciting plans and great articles to read. And they really are spotlighting some really impressive writers right now. So that's that's our month. We've given you stuff to get excited about. We've given you stuff to go off and watch. And we've discussed all kind of amazing things. And you can go off and also watch Highlander, which might not be amazing, but you have a fun time with it. So it's time for us to say goodbye and tell you where you can find us. James, where can people find you? Thanks very much, Russell. Um, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at RoddersJ04. And for my reviews, articles, podcast appearances, whatever I do, you can check me out at thereviewingrodders.co.uk. Until next time, so long, farewell, Afida saying fuck off. Beautiful song. Vincent, where can people find you? Well, people can find, can regard me as a thing they've heard and seen um, on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd. Uh, Dr. Gain, that's D-R-G-A-I-N-E. You can also visit my blog, Vincent's Views, where I put the um, put reviews and commentary of uh, things I've been watching. You can also find me on the Critical Movie Critics. And with that in mind, just remember, lock those creepy-looking dolls away or just don't buy the damn things in the first place. Uh. And you can find me on Twitter at Russ Loves Movies. Any kind of writing or podcast stuff I will post there, as well as some other less filmy stuff. But that's where you'll find out what I'm watching, what I'm writing, and what I'm talking on. Uh, my podcast itself is not just for kids, and it's it's a podcast that looks at family films throughout the ages. We are coming to the end of our Ghibli series, so we've covered that for about three months now. We've also just put out a uh, episode on the Mitchells vs. the Machines, which I should probably have talked about in my How I'm Doing, because I've watched that four times this month, and it is a wonderful film. And next up, we've got uh, a series covering perhaps the greatest era for family films, the 90s. That's right, Mrs. Doubtfire, The Mummy, The Mask, all those classics will be talked about in next to my series. So come find me on Twitter or on your podcast feeds. And as ever, thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe, stay groovy, watch a lot of horror, and uh, yeah, stay away from those dolls. <laughs>